I think five men. If you are a man, you can help us. Other than and Lord, you, uh, the rest of us, take your Bible, leave it in Proverbs. We're going to turn to a bunch of Proverbs. But if you can help us with men, read another verse. Brother Lou, if you'll take Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Brother Levi, can you do 2 Peter 1, 6? 2 Peter 1, 6. Um, who else will do? Brother Andrew, can you take Matthew 6, 32 and 33? Matthew 6, 32 and 33. Uh, that should get us going. All right. Proverbs chapter 12. I want you to look at verse number 24. Last week we dealt with this. We looked at it. Last week was kind of a hard lesson. You probably left last week and just thought, boy, that message was a little bit biting. We talked about the slothful and the sluggard. And God's word does not speak of either of them kindly. Can I say this to you as we enter in tonight about diligence and how God blesses the labor that, uh, of our hands? I understand this, that we have many in our church that would like to have the ability to work, and they cannot work. Uh, and so don't ever think that a message like last week or a message this week is pointed towards you if you physically cannot work, but you would like to work. We looked at the sluggard and the slothful, and we looked at... Uh, how that God cannot bless them because they won't do what God has planned for them. Look at verse number 24 of chapter 12. It says this, The hand of the diligent shall, shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Uh, can I say this as we get started? We serve a God that desires to bless us. We do. I ask you this tonight. How many of you desire the blessings of God? In every area, not just finances, we're talking about finances. Do you want the blessings of God on your marriage? Do you want the blessings of God on your children or your grandchildren? I desire the blessings of God upon our nation and upon our church. Uh, but I think about this. We desire, we, we serve a God that desires to bless us. God would rather bless a man than judge a man. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jeffrey Epstein died. My personal view is he was killed. A wicked, wicked man. Did a lot of horrible things. Ruined lives of a lot of people. God did not rejoice when Jeffrey Epstein died. When the wicked die, God does not rejoice. He'd rather bless them than judge them. And so it is the God that we serve. But what does it say here, verse 24, that the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Let me give you a definition for diligent. Steady application to business, prosecuted with care. I'm going to say it again. Steady application to business, prosecuted with care. Do you have a diligent plan for your finances? I'm thankful that Brother Andrew's helping us as a church to do that. Do you have a diligent plan that you prosecute on you walking with God? You're not just going to wake up one morning and say, you know what? Man, this was a great week. I didn't mean to, but all week I walked with God. You have to be diligent. You have to determine to walk with God. Uh, and you think about this. So uh, steady application to business prosecuted with care. Somebody said it this way, diligent hands come from a diligent heart 
And this means the discipline of the inner life. We'll use the word discipline and diligent interchangeable. Look at chapter 4. A lot of stops in Proverbs tonight. Chapter 4, and look at verse number 23. A diligent hand come from a diligent heart, and this means the discipline of the inner life. Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart. That word there, keep, is guard or garrison. Put some walls around your heart. Mamas and daddies, I know this isn't the lesson tonight, those of you who are raising young, rearing young children. You better watch what they watch on television. You better watch what they, what they have uh, in their music. You better, now, you know what, hey, I'm going to say, Alex, Patrick, Sam, who else am I, am I looking at youngsters here, Damien. Do you know what, and, and you're not going to like what Pastor says, but it's true. You're raising a teenager. They're living in your house. You should be able to walk into their room at any time, check all of their belongings, done and done. But they're private. No, they're living in your house. I, down through the years in ministry, I've had people say, well, I just trust my kids. I pray that you do. But I'm saying, uh, who was it? Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. Uh, all right, so look at this, if you would. Chapter 4, verse 23, when we cultivate the inner life or the inner person through prayer, God's Word, and submission to the Lord, we experience the joys of a disciplined life and a diligent life. To live by discipline or diligence is a byproduct of the Spirit-filled life. Brother Lou, read Galatians 5, if you would. Listen to this. I'm going to stop him in one of these words. We're going to come to it. Stop right there. Long-suffering means this, temperance, diligence, self-control. If I'm out of control, it's because I'm not spirit-led. Go ahead, Brother Lou. And who has Second Peter 1? Men, who has Brother Lou, Levi? 2 Peter 1, 6. Brother Levi, go back up to verse 5, would you? Listen to this. Now watch this. So Brother Lou just read, if we are led by the Holy Spirit, and let me remind you, Galatians 5 says this, it does not say the fruits of the Spirit. Fruit. If I am filled and led by the Holy Spirit of God, I will have all of them. All right? So... In the epistle to the Galatians, it says that. Now listen to Peter, and he's going to talk about once we get saved, what we should add to our faith. Brother Levi? And besides this, giving all diligence, add, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge. Okay, so give all diligence to add to your faith. And then if you dip into verse number 6 where he read before, is temperance or self-control. Now, I'm going to say this to you. We've got, by nature, if we just let our inner being go, it's going to lead us astray. So we have to be diligent. The reward for faithful work, and I'm going to say this to you. Oh, and I don't like this. The reward for faithful work is more work. 
I mean, now watch this. Some of you say, oh, preacher, uh, I'm, I'm praying. Christmas is right around the corner, and I want to buy something for my little grandson or granddaughter or some kids or whatnot. And you know what? And if you say, now, don't go in debt for it. Do you know this? Do you know? I don't know the statistic, Brother Andrew. I don't know if you do. That They're alarming. The average person takes till May to pay off Christmas from the previous year. You don't have to go in debt for Christmas. But let's say you just want to do something nice for somebody, and you say, Lord, I, can, you, can you bless me with the money? I can do that, and I don't have to put it on a card. He may give you more added hours at work. So you think about this. The reward for faithful work is more work. Look at chapter 22 of Proverbs, chapter 22, and look at verse number 29. Proverbs 22 and verse 29. See thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. In other words, God's going to move him up, and he's going to have more and more to do, more because they trust him. He's going to be able to stand before kings. Matthew 25, 21. Who has that, fellas? Matthew, did I give somebody that verse? Let's turn there together. Everybody turn there together. Matthew 25. One of the blessings of diligence is this, or the diligent people, that they gain the trust of others because of their character, and that presents them for greater opportunities in the future. Uh, we have a few business owners in our church. I promise you this, whether they want, whether you know it or not, they've got their eye on you. They're trying to see, are you diligent? Do you show up? You barely skid in, uh, and, and just, or are you late? You make an excuse why you can't be there. I watch this. And if they look for somebody to promote, they're going to promote somebody who's been diligent, hardworking, character. They can count on them. All right? Look at this, Matthew 25. And is not the Lord the same way? Matthew 25. Is somebody there? Read verse 21. You're there and I'm not yet. Matthew 25, 21. Who can do that? Okay, now watch, is, is not that what the Lord does too? Looks for diligent people. You did my work well. Now watch it. But he gives them more to do. So you think about this. How did this play out in Scripture? Joseph was faithful. Go with me to the story of Joseph's life. It was unfair what happened to Joseph, wasn't it? His brothers wanted to kill him. If it wasn't for Reuben, they'd have killed him. But they put him in a pit. And then, and then Reuben said, why sin against the child? Don't kill our brother. And then here comes the Midianites. They come by and somebody got there. Hey, let's sell our brother into slavery. Did they sell Joseph into slavery? Right or wrong? That was, Joseph didn't deserve that, did he? Can I say this to you? You can't keep a good man down. God's going to reward him. He's going to rise to the level of his character. So later on, he goes, he, he goes in by no mistake of God. He ends up in, in Pharaoh's house. Potiphar's wife looks at him. He's a sharp young man. We think about 18 years old, and she lusted after him. Joseph did not. Imagine this. Joseph was in a strange land. He was a young man in the prime of his life, a beautiful woman. Uh, was making advances towards him, and he said no. 
Somebody said it this way, Joseph left his coat and kept his character. And character will always cause you to rise to the top. Later on, God, I mean, the, the Pharaoh saw the wisdom of Joseph and put him to the top of his kingdom. And then he was lied about by his wife. So he went into prison, but even in prison, God used him and he kept his attitude right. And he goes back into the palace. Joseph was faithful and God brought him into the palace. David was faithful. One time, David actually was going off to battle and he found out and made sure that the father's sheep were left in the, in the care of someone. David was faithful in his sheep and God gave him an entire nation to lead. Joshua was faithful to follow Moses and God chose him to take Moses' place. Let me say this to you. Everybody here that is underneath somebody else, that would be our own associate pastor, our administrative pastor. But you think about Brother and Mrs. Miller and your business and others. Brother Tom, I know you had, when you were in business, you had employees, that type of thing. Now think about this. No employee, Brother Tyrell, you work and you have men under you. No employee looks to a boss 100% of the time and said, I've got the kind of boss I can agree with 100%. I never have to judge his or her uh, leading, and I'll just follow. There are times as we follow people, they'll look and say, I know better than you. I can do better than you. And yet God blesses when we follow those he's placed in leadership over us. And so it was uh, with Joshua. He was faithful to follow Moses, and so God chose him to take Moses' place. I told you before, and when I was at Bible College, I had the thrill one, one weekend to go to Moody Memorial Church and have a picture in my album of standing behind the pulpit, the original pulpit of D.O. Moody. What a man of God and how God used D.O. Moody and what great power he had. But D.O. Moody in 1850 to 1875 at the height of his ministry, during that time, D.O. Moody traveled by, by train and a lot of times they traveled by, by beast of burden. I mean, really, they traveled with on horseback. And, but Dio Moody came back in from a meeting, and, and he got back in kind of late, and he had to change clothes and go back out in another meeting. He usually kept a, a fresh change of clothes in his office, but he went back there, and there wasn't any. And so he took his trousers off. They were wrinkled. He didn't want to show up to the next meeting like that. And he handed his trousers to his assistant at that time, and he said, would you please press these trousers for me? And the man said something like this, who do you think I am? I'm an assistant pastor. I'm not a, I don't do laundry. There was a man in the church that heard that. He rushed into to Deal Moody's office, and he said, preacher, I'll be glad to press those trousers. That man's name was James M. Gray. Who do you think God tapped to take Moody Memorial Church when Dio Moody was called home? You don't even know who the assistant pastor was because he had the attitude, I'm better than you, and, and God doesn't like that when God placed you underneath somebody. Joseph was faithful to follow, Joshua was faithful to follow Moses, and God chose him to take Moses' place. Look at chapter 4 of Proverbs. Uh, so you look at this, these, the hand of the diligent. What does it look like? And God promises to give us his blessing if we're just diligent. 
It may seem to some of you that you go to a place and you work hard and you're diligent and you're on time and you do the very best and you, the boss never notices. Can I say this to you? God notices. And I promise you this, he'll bless. Look at chapter 4, if you would, verses number 7 and 8. The Bible says wisdom, this is the key verse in the, in the study in Proverbs. Wisdom is a principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. There's no substitute for hard work. Look at chapter 10, verse number 4. There is no substitute for hard work. Chapter 10, verse number 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. That person that prosper has a plan in place, and I'm going to work that plan, and, and I'm going to ask God to bless that plan, and I'm going to be diligent in my labors. God's promised to bless. Look at chapter 14 and verse number 23. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. There's no substitute for hard work. A college student was asked one time, are you looking for work? And he said, no, but I would like a job. <laughs> Got a lot of people that would like a job, but they're not going to work. And you know what? This day and age, and I don't know, Brother Miss Miller, I, man, I'm, I've been too long ago since I interviewed for a job. I remember when we were taking our son out to Bible college, I said, Justin, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start early in the morning. You've got a stack of resumes. We're going to go meet some employers. We're going to look them in the eye. We're going to shake their hands. We're going to say, listen, I'll be the, you hire me. I'll be the hardest worker you got. You don't hire on that way anymore. You go someplace, okay, go online. Go online. Go online. Kind of how they hire. But I'm saying this. You think about that if you want work, that's a good thing, and God will bless that. Somebody said it this way, the world is full of willing people, some willing to work, others perfectly willing to let them work. Let me say this to you, and I'm not trying to get political here. Under the Obama administration, we had 24 million able-bodied Americans on welfare that could work but wouldn't work. 24 million. Can I say this to you, men especially? But also, ladies, I'm saying this, take pride in working and working hard and doing a good job. When you work, God blesses diligent. So what does Solomon say about diligent people? Very quickly, let's look at this. Diligent people plan their work and work their plan. Chapter 16, verse 3. Diligent people plan their work and work their plan. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Another verse here in chapter 21. Chapter 21 and verse number 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hastily only to want. I remember when I met Kathy's brother when I went to Bible college. And that kid, he, almost like Belinda Ball, he could sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. Amen. I mean, if he needed something, he could sell. The guy could sell. And come to find out, the more I got to know him, that... They lived close to a golf course there in Southern California, and he, he would do this. He would go down there, I don't know how often, and he'd find the errant golf balls. And he'd clean them up, go back to the golf, <laughs> where the men are golfing, and sell the golf balls. 
Huh? And then make it. You look at that. You think diligent people plan, uh, have a plan, uh, and they work that plan. Thomas Edison said this, I never did anything by accident, nor did any invention come by accident. They all came by work. Anybody know how many times he failed at the incandescent light bulb before he got one that worked? Over 1,000 times. And so his people and the other scientists were making fun of him and said, aren't you, you, you failed again. And here's what he said. He said, I didn't fail. I just found one more thing that wouldn't work. He was diligent. And God bless. And we have lights today because of the work and the hard work and diligence of Thomas Edison. Benjamin Franklin wrote in his book, Poor Richard Almanac, he said, Diligence is the mother of invention, and God gives all things through industry. Some of you are waiting to win the lottery, aren't you? You're waiting for that inheritance from a rich uncle. You're going to go to uh, uh, Cripple Creek, and you're going to play. Can I tell you this? You and I cannot ask God to bless games of chance. God bless me as I buy this lottery ticket. Mm -mm. God gives to us through labor, and he blesses labor. Number two, what does Solomon say about diligent people? God blesses the labors of those who are honest. I think, Brother Andrew, this is one of the things that they hit first thing last night. Chapter 13, verse number 11, God blesses honesty. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth commandment shall be rewarded. Look at chapter 16 in verse 11, if you would, 16, 11. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. And that means this, the weight was if I had a four-pound weight and you went in to buy four pounds of wheat or flour, they'd put a four-pound weight over here and they would pour, pour until they balanced out. So some unscrupulous people would hollow out that weight. It really didn't weigh four pounds. It weighed three and a half pounds, and they think, I snookered you. Well, God was watching. God always blesses honesty. God expects honesty in our words and in our work. Be honest in your work. Number three, what does Solomon say about diligent people? God blesses diligent people for their generosity. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, all of us ought to be generous as God has blessed us. Some can be more generous than others. Chapter 11, verse 24, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth only to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. I'm going to say this. We talked about this last week. I don't believe you help the person on the street corner by putting any money in their hands. Matter of fact, you hurt them. But I'm saying this, all of us ought to have our ears and our heart open to the poor. We should. And give towards those that have a need. So we say this, God blesses generosity. Look at chapter 22, verse 9. God blesses diligent people for their generosity. I think we read this one last week. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Number four, diligent people are careful not to incur debts that may not be, be able to, they may not be able to handle. Chapter 22, verse number seven. 
The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower's servant to the lender. When I sign a credit card agreement, if I sign a mortgage note or a car note, I am promising I will pay that note. Am I not? Now watch this. Sometimes, be careful with that. We made this statement, all may not agree. I believe it's a worthwhile, godly goal for all of us to do our best to get out of in debt, get out of indebtedness. Can I say this to you? I know the stock market's up. I know it looks like I heard that we're going to go over 3,000. Unbelievable. Can I say this to you? The American government is bankrupt. It's going to catch up with us sometime. We are spending more money than we, are, than we are making and by hundreds and millions of dollars. And it's going to come to a head at some time. So plan for that. And one of the best ways we can plan is to get out of debt or try to stay out of debt. I understand the day and age that we live that some indebtedness is, is expected. But each of us should be diligent not to place ourselves or our children in unqualified indebtedness. I look at that. If something happened to me, would my wife be able to make it? And if something happened to, to her and I, what, would we pass on to our children a burden or a blessing? Amen. Somebody said it this way. When your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep is your downfall. Greed is what the devil uses to get us into debt. I suppose I'll always remember this. It's one of the first meetings I had with Brother Andrew, and he said this. I don't know if he got it from Brother Ramsey, but he says this. Comparison is the thief of joy. Well, look, I saw this the other day, and I go, I don't, ladies, I don't know fashion well enough to know. But, oh, I saw, and she's here tonight. I will not put her, because she's not a fashion lady. She's one of our godly ladies. But last night I saw her, and her and her husband were walking out, and I said, oh, she's got a Gucci purse. <laughs> Whoa. Now watch this. If you've got a Walmart purse... Ladies, and you see seated next to you as a lady has a Gucci purse. And you think, and then you start to look at your Walmart purse, and you look at her Gucci, <laughs> your Walmart, and your Gucci. And you think, oh, I got to have a Gucci purse. Not really. <laughs> Greed is what the devil uses to keep us in debt. Each of us should at uh, at uh, should. Uh, at what we should understand at what level God wants us to live and be content with it. Look at chapter thirty, Proverbs thirty. God can trust some with wealth, and some he cannot trust with wealth. Chapter 30, look at verse number 7 through 9. Two things I have required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of God in vain. So what is he saying? Uh, Matthew 6, 32 and 33. Brother Andrew, is that yours? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Not that I saw it, and my dad was very young, but he tells me about our family that came through the Great Depression and how that three parts of the families had to live under one roof and how poor they were when they did that and how they survived and what a typical day or a meal looked like. 
He said something over and over again, and I didn't understand it then, but I do now. We had a saying, use it up, wear it out, or do without. Now, he carried it even till the day he died, and Kathy's not here tonight, but I, he would have paper towels in his business office, and he'd walk into the bathroom and wash his hands, and he'd dry off on a paper towel, and then he'd string them out to dry so he could reuse them. Dad, throw them away. Come on. But he grew up in that generation. And he understood that. And again and again, he would say that. He would say, use it up, wear it out, or do without. When I moved to town, my dad was a hardworking man. He wore what I call a roper boot. He had a mechanic shop. And I remember him walking around like this, toes. Cur I said, Dad, what's going on? He said, well, I got some holes in my boot. Dad, go buy you some boots. Well, these aren't worn out yet. Well, why are you curling your toes? <laughs> you can't walk in a spot of oil or something because, and I mean this honestly, how many times slip something in the inside of the boot or the shoe? You think about how, and can I say this to you? Some of you, when God blessed you, you have, as my wife and I do, and I'm not saying Kathy and I are rich, we're, we're not, but I remember, and <laughs> Nathan and Sydney, I'm sure it'll be a lot better for you folks. When we first got married, I asked all the guys, and we only got two weeks off. How many weeks on when you went to college, Sydney? How many? Christmas. How many weeks did you get off? Like a month, wasn't it? Yeah, we got two weeks. And we were getting married in those two weeks. And she lived in California, and we were going to school in Chicago. And I remember asking all the guys that got, my buds got married before. I said, hey, how long should I have before I start looking for a part? Ah, oh, you'll find one in no time. Don't worry about it. Just give it a week or two. And I believed them. Uh, and I was flying out in two days, and I didn't have an apartment. I found this old house. This guy had taken his old, big old house, and he divided it into eight apartments, and we got the top one, and he was Scrooge. Honestly, kidding. He took the thermostat, and he put it in a tree outside. Had a wire running across, put it in an insulated box in a tree, and you'd see him once a week or two weeks, and he'd go up there and unlock that little box, and he'd turn the thermostat, and he'd... We had ice on the inside, on the inside of the windows by our bed. Huh? The wallpaper was peeling off of the wall. We had, you walked in, her mom and dad visited us. We didn't have a vacuum. We had a broom. That's all we had. So we swept the carpet before mom and dad came over. We had a dining room table with two chairs, right? Two chairs. We had a little, we thought it was a couch. It was a love seat. And that's it. That's all we had. We made our own homemade wreath for our first Christmas. We didn't know what we were doing. We hung it on the door. You slam the door and you hear <laughs> pine needles. But you know what? Now we live in a very nice house. But you know what? We always look fondly back to that place where we started. And it was okay. Can I tell you this, young couples, it's okay that you don't have what it took mom and daddy 30 years to get. You don't have to have the new car, the new furniture. You can work up to it. Look at this, if you would, very quickly. The real measure of our worth is how much we would be worth if we lost all of our money. I'm going to say that again. The real measure of our worth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all of our money. 
What are we saying by that? Character is more important than position, and wisdom is more important than possessions. God does not magnify poverty, neither does He magnify affluence. Number five, or whatever number's in your notes. Chapter 11, if you look at this, Solomon also says, Beware of the false sense of security that wealth can bring. Don't put your security blanket in money and things. Proverbs 11 and verse 28, He that trusteth in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Look at chapter 15 and verse 16 and 17. 15, 16, and 17, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. So be careful of the false sense of security sometimes that money and possessions can bring. Next, he says this, Be careful not to judge a diligent man who has gained wealth as it coming easily. I, I'm, yeah, I think you know who I am. I'm just saying right now, don't get mad at me if you're a Democrat. I think if I was a Democrat, I'd change tomorrow. Every one of them are attacking wealth. And I think about this. Can I say this to you? I understand that some people inherit wealth. I understand that. But somebody worked real hard so they could leave something so they could inherit wealth. In America, I don't understand. They say this, that the upward 2% pay 45% of all the federal income taxes. The upper 2%. And now, Elizabeth Warren said, we're, just gonna, we're not going to tax the middle class for our $56 trillion Medicare for all. Yes, you will. Why are we attacking wealth builders in America? Because we're envious and we're jealous. And can I say this to you? And don't get mad at me with this, but I never saw a poor man offer a job to someone. If somebody, God blesses diligent people in our church and they increase in value and wealth, don't look down your nose at them. Praise God that God, they listened, they had a plan, they were diligent, and God blessed them. Now, next one on your list, chapter 18, verse number 11. When God blesses our diligence with money or assets, we must be careful not to become proud. Chapter 18, verse 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and as a high wall in his own conceit. Any of you know rich people that were conceited? The pastor was visiting with a lady, and she wanted to impress him. And as he was sitting down, he was trying to tell her of her need for the Savior. And she said to him, she said, evidently, you don't know what my furniture goes back to. And he said, really? Who does your furniture go? goes back to Louis the 14th? And he said, that's nothing. Mine going back to Sears on the 15th. <laughs> Why do we look at once we gain something as we're really something? If rich people aren't careful, they'll begin to mistreat people because of their wealth. Look at chapter 14, verse number 21. 14, verse 21. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. He that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Look at chapter 18, if you would, in verse number 23. 
18 and verse 23, the poor useth entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. Sometimes the rich become a law unto themselves. When we first moved to town, I thought we were going to be here just a matter of months. We had lorded, uh, we were called to a church in Denver. My dad owned a business here. I said, Dad, can I work with you six months? And then we're moving to Denver, son. Go. So we came, we worked, and I remember it was Christmas time. And a man came in, we worked on his stuff, and he was kind of a mover and shaker in town and owned a business. But on the side, he had, he made a killing on fireworks and Christmas trees, and he did them both. And he was kind of a nervy guy, but a multimillionaire. And he came in one time and he just said, I said, I said, why are you all up? Why are you nervy? What's up? He said, it's two weeks before Christmas. I, I, I don't have any Christmas trees and I can't get any. I said, hey, I got a friend called Junior. I had a friend in New Mexico. He sells them. I'll see if he's got any extra. He said, would you do that? I didn't ask for anything for him. I said, I'll make a call. He said, listen, I'll give you $10 a tree for every tree you get for me. All right. I called my friend in, in, in New Mexico. I said, hey, listen, got a fellow up here that's looking for Christmas trees. Oh, man, he said, I've got a glut of them. You'll be doing me a favor. I'll send you a whole semi-load. And he did. Sent a whole semi-load. Week after Christmas, here comes this guy. And I said, I said, hey, how those Christmas? Oh, those were the prettiest Christmas trees I ever had. I sold every one of them. Yeah. Never. Pulled out his wallet and gave me a $20 bill. You can do that if you're rich. No, you can't. You see what I'm saying? Now, now the truth of the matter is I wasn't expecting anything, but he made a promise. And we don't mistreat people because we have the means to do so. Can I say this to you? Number nine, the wrong attitude towards money and assets can destroy a friendship and even a home or a marriage. Wrong. Can I say this, husbands, wives? I'm, I'm really, if I've not already gotten into trouble, I'm going to hear. Can I help you to understand this? We men have a bigger problem with this than ladies do sometimes. For this cause... Shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one checkbook? What I'm saying is this. Don't have guys or ladies. Now, here, here's my wife and I. She is employed for the church. We don't put any of her monies into budget. We just don't. It's lipstick money. Got some really pricey lip. No. <laughs> I, we, we've never done that. Now, and I mean this honestly, she taught school when, when our, we were raising our, rearing our children and the babies were being born. And we took 100% of, she took, and she did this, just diligent, set aside and bought the cribs and the play pins and the doctor and just put her salary in there. Praise the Lord for that. Here's what I'm saying. Men and ladies... Brother Andrew, did we not see that? Did not Brother Ramsey say that? The number one cause for divorce in America is finances. I think you ought to sit down as a husband and wife and talk about your finances, put your dreams together, put your goals together. Chapter 15, look at verse number 27. It says this, 
He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. The person that makes getting rich the priority in life will put money ahead of people and principles. I learned this a long time ago, and I try to remember it every day. Christ taught us to love people and use things, not to love things and use people. I usually find one of the two is true. People that love things oftentimes use people to get those things. But people who love people, they use things to be a blessing to those people. Go on, if you would, please. Parents should be careful. Now, oh, I'm, oh, buddy, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I believe, parents, we ought to be careful about thinking about giving expensive gifts to our children in order to buy love. What our children need is us. They need some of our time. Be careful with that. I heard it said by a, good, a godly lawyer one time, where there's a will, there will always be relatives. Going to show up. We just watched this happen a month or two in our church. Some long lost people that never came around their loved one showed up the day she died. Here we are. Be careful with that. Lastly, wealthy people should plan and understand what their children will do with their wealth. Uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Moms and dads, if we have grown, especially boys, but kids that refuse to work, do you think that you help them by leaving a lot of money to them when you die? Because I think you hurt them. You can leave it in a trust and your desire spelled out, but I'm saying this to you, that if our children, our grown children, are not diligent enough to get up, get a job, be gainfully employed, why would we leave them things? God has removed his blessings from them because they're not willing to work. And what mom and daddy do, I'm going to give you what I do. Can I say this to you? Everything we have, we're stewards of. Am I right? Even upon our death. And God wants to bless. And I think about this. And, and listen, and this sounds selfish, but it, it is what it is. This is not my church. I'm not asking for anything. But I think one of the things, if you want to be blessed in your future, you can and should do, is in, encourage you in your will to put into the cause of Christ. Put into church or to missions or whatever the cause of Christ. And I think about this a lot of times. Our kids don't even go to church, and we leave them with everything we looked at. And I'm not saying don't leave anything for your kids, but I'm saying be careful and diligent how you plan for children in the future. Chapter 27, verse 24, For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? Some of our kids, I think about this. Some of our kids, I, and I, I watch this. I'm just, because I know them, I'm just break on a little bit. Brother Tom, when I look at Tommy and Melissa, those are hardworking kids. And I think about this, I, I believe this. I think Brother Tom could drive whatever car he wanted to drive. But some, I've seen him drive Dodge minivans before. There's something wrong with that. And then they go and you get around their kids and you realize Brother Tom and his son are in business and 
be just as hardworking and just as just as comfortable driving a, a used vehicle that's got 75, 80, 100,000 miles on it. There's something to be said with that. Here's how my wife and I looked at it. We don't expect anything from mom and daddy. They worked for it. God blessed them. If we receive something, praise the Lord. Amen. But can I say this to you? I remember this. I was so thrilled with this. And it was an answer to prayer. Kathy and I were getting married. We wanted to start marriage debt-free. Didn't have any credit cards. The only bill we had was $121 a month car payment. Oh, and I love this car. It was a beautiful car. And I remember we prayed about that. We really felt God wanted us to start married life debt-free. He said, okay, we're going to sell that car. Well, what are we going to get? I don't know. We might be having a bicycle built for two, but we're going to start debt-free. So we sold the car, and my brother had a Dodge Duster. How many of you ever know what a Dodge Duster looks? You had Brother Mike? You didn't own one, did you? You had one, Kathy? The only car worse than that is what my wife owned, a Pinto, Ford Pinto. All right? Dodge Duster. He said, you can use my Duster. All right. We're pleased, man. But then we prayed, and, man, wedding day was getting real close. And I remember thinking, we don't have a car, but we're praying. And we got a call from Kathy's dad. Grandma had passed away, and I, Grandma had money. Ooh. And Grandma had a really, 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 really nice car. Remember, Brother Tom, you'll remember these. You whippersnappers won't. 1977, Oldsmobile Delta 88, white leather interior. These weren't, these weren't wire hubcaps. They were wire wheels. I mean, this thing was the cat's meow. 17,000 miles on it. Her dad talked to his brother, Kathy's uncle, and said, Hey, Gordon and Kathy are getting married. Would they like to buy Grandma's car? Oh, I'd love to buy Grandma's car, but Grandma's car is worth a lot of money. We don't have any money. We're getting married. So we made them an offer. It's everything we had, $1,700. They took it. Kathy's dad flew out from California, flew up to Michigan, Adrian, Michigan, to drive that car back. We have it in California. We got married. When he showed up, this is even better. When he showed up, his brother, who was not even a Christian at the time, said, I don't know why I feel this way. We ought to just give that to him. <laughs> I remember. I know, I'm not kidding you. I pulled on the college campus. I had the sharpest car on the college campus. I remember pulling up here and showing my dad. He wasn't impressed at all. Brother Andrew, can you imagine this? Here's what he told me. Brother Chris, here's what he told me. He said, and that's awesome, but you didn't earn it. And it's going to take character for you to enjoy something you didn't earn. And he was right. Can I say this to you? If you work hard and you buy a car and it's not as nice, you appreciate it because you worked hard to get it. Let's close with this. We should ask God for wisdom on how to leave wealth to our children. If our adult children do not work when they can and do not have an appreciation for the diligence it took to gain wealth, it will destroy them if we leave vast amounts of money to them. Riches will become a curse and not a blessing. And what we want to do is we want God to bless. Can I say this to you? We've got a lot of diligent workers in here. You just get up every day. You go to work, you show up on time, you work, and you work hard. God's going to bless that. You have a plan in place, 
and you think we're going to take it. Let me encourage you with this. I think Brother Ramsey, we've not, I'm not a good example of this. Brother Ramsey encourages 15% savings, right? Oh, that's tough. I wish somebody had told me that years and years and years ago. Can I say this to you? Be diligent. Work hard. Give back to God what belongs to Him. Be kind to others, and God will bless you. And then if He increases your wealth or assets so much, don't let it come into your heart. Still be generous. Don't let it change who you are. I promise you this. I don't know if any of you would know. I'm not going to mention his name. He's a godly man. I would tend to believe he's one of the richest men in Pueblo. He owns half of the Bacalite Mesa. He owns nearly all of the uh, business and properties from Love's Truck Stop North. You can see him every day, every day, driving to work in a Chevy Metro. Yes. (laughs) Chevy Metro. The steering wheel is torn up. He's driven that Metro since I've known him. And he's just as happy as a lark in the park. Ball cap, scrunchy beard, Chevy Metro. I just think he could buy Pueblo. It hasn't changed who he is. He still loves the Lord. He still loves people. He still generous to causes he believes in. God blesses diligence.